following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Colossians entitled, Jesus Over Everything. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit scmoline.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Colossians 4, 7 through 18. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, Jesus greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, you're with us through Colossians. Colossians is a theologically dense four chapters of Scripture. There's just a lot. I mean, it's like so good, so good. Everything about this book to this point has been strikingly profound, so deep, so concentrated, yet we come to the last 11 verses of this book of the Bible and it resembles more of a yearbook with all of the little notes and names scribbled in on the covers. I don't, do you guys have that going on in high school? Everybody kind of, you pass around your yearbook, people hand out, you know. It, that's kind of like what this is. You see a bunch of names and tidbits of information, and you're wondering, like, is this even relevant? Like, why is this even in the Bible, right? What does it have to do anything with my life? But, but this is the promise that we have. God tells us in 2 Timothy, he says that all Scripture, say all Scripture, all Scripture, all scripture is God-breathed and useful, okay? And so in order to come around and see the usefulness and, and the poignancy of this text, we have to understand that scripture is divided into two main categories. There's prescriptive scripture that tells us it's basically instruction on what should do, the application of things, right? So you're told, husbands, love your wives. That's prescriptive. But there's this other category that's descriptive. It's, it's explaining the story. It's providing some commentary about the narrative of what was going on. And actually, if you think about it, most of the Bible falls under this category of 
or of, excuse me, descriptive um, in its orientation. And what it does, it sheds a light on us. It gives us, gives us insight into how things actually flesh out. And, and today's passage is very much like that. In, in some ways, we're seeing how Paul is personally working out some of the implications that he's been giving to us as he's writing the book of Colossians. And so as we look at these last 11 verses, there's a lot to observe here. We could talk, we could actually, I, I think that I could probably write like seven or eight different sermons on this if we want to talk about, um, talk about how Paul is being resourceful, right? Utilizing and uh, catalyzing people who are in his missional community to do good ministry work. We can talk about uh, Paul's desire to see uh, the gospel go to new depths, to, to see new people reached with the gospel. We can talk about how, how ministry is teamwork, Right? That, that it's the church, it's not just individuals doing things for the kingdom of God, it's the collective church working together with a common goal, bringing different strengths and weaknesses together. But the main thing that I want to hone in here is how relational the Apostle Paul is. I think the Apostle Paul kind of gets a bad rap, that, that he's viewed as this cold and really driven and just sort of like angsty guy and I don't know how anybody could be his friends, but here we see that Paul isn't this lone wolf Christian. He, isn't, he doesn't have this agenda that leaves people buried under him like he plows over them like a bus, right? He's very relational. He's deeply connected. In fact, we can see that this, this is the commonality, or this, this, is, this is part of the narrative through all of the New Testament where Paul's writing. We can see how Paul's ministry was both mission-focused, right, reaching people, getting the gospel out there, but he did it while being deeply rooted in relationships. That's how Paul did it, and, that, and Paul does it that way because of how Jesus did it. Jesus took 12 disciples for three and a half years, walked all over Nazareth, all over Galilee, going places, telling people about the kingdom of God. That's how Jesus did it. That's how Paul does it. That's how we do it as Sacred City. And Paul tells us, that this is the model. He says in 1 Thessalonians, I cared for you. I, he, he says, I was so desirously affectionate for you that I didn't just share the gospel. I didn't just share this insight that God has on how he's redeeming and saving the world. I shared my life with you. That's relational language. So for Paul, he realizes, and, and this is true for Jesus, true for us, the only way that gospel growth happens, the only way that we really flourish in the gospel is as we are in community and sent on mission. That's our whole mission, that's a whole model that we have at Sacred City, that we grow in the gospel. The only way to make disciples is in community and on mission. It's a deeply relational thing. But this wasn't always the way that Paul was. Paul has a, a, a long backstory. He's uh, among the religious elite of the Jews. And before becoming a Christian, we have this picture of him being driven, being shrewd, being hard and calloused. Um, in fact, he, he, in, in, I think it's in uh, Philippians, he sort of brags about how, how just calloused and how down and how religious he was. And it was his mission, this mission of becoming a, a, zealot, um, a, a zealous man for God that caused him to, to leave relationships uh, buried uh, alongside the road, right? He just plowed people over. And, and, and so his relationships were uh, impaired. His relationship with God 
was purely um, functional. It was, we could look at it and say that was a dead religion. He wasn't having this thriving relationship with God. It was like what he did for God, and that was sort of what uh, tipped the scales if he was close to God or far from God. And we see how, how this impacts the church in the book of Acts, where there are Christians who are avoiding him because he's leading the persecution against the church. So Paul, he's, he's got this intolerance. He's hard. And if we look and speculate, I would imagine that he has a low relational capacity. I mean, he doesn't have a lot of friendships, and he probably has a poor quality of relationships. So whatever friendship he does, they're, they're limited, they're shallow in this sense. And one thing that you could say that as we understand the gospel, the place where the gospel changes us most is in the context of relationships that we are in fact relational creatures. We have been made to belong, to have these deep connections both with God and with other people. But sin gets in there, right? The fall in Genesis chapter three, the first thing it destroys is relationship between Adam and Eve and God and relationship between Adam and Eve themselves. Sin stunts and perverts and hinders meaningful relationships. And while we might be able to engage in relationships, right, that are steeped in sin, they aren't what it could be. Like, they're so limited, so shallow, they're so impaired by sin. And when we have impaired relationships, that means our quality of life is impaired, right? Our, our quality of life, Richard Plass um, and Jim Cofield, the guys who wrote the book Relational Soul, a book that we've used a lot here over the last few years says that the quality of our life is determined by the quality of our relationships. There's no other way to go about it. And because sin gets in there and ruins and impairs our relationships, it leaves our lives impaired as well. Now, there's a couple ways that we can see sin doing this, like in the nuts and bolts of how sin works. Uh, St. Augustine talked about this incurvatus insight that sin actually warps ourself, our outlook on life with other people, with God, that we're sort of curved in on ourselves in a way that we're so self-centered. That's really at the core of sin is this pride, this self-centeredness, this self-focus, that we go about our relationships in a completely self-centered way, that we make our relationships not about the mutual good of others, right, but about ourselves. And we do this by treating our relationships uh, like, like in utilitarian way, um, a way where we're friends as long as you're useful to me. Um, you, you see this, if you're somebody who owns a pool, you know what this feels like because for like nine of the months of the year, nobody wants to hang out with you and then summertime hits and like, hey, you know, we haven't hung out forever. You wanna come hang out with, you know, actually, can we come over? You know, that's how it goes, right? The utilitarian friendships, right? Or, or we have these uh, homogeneous relationships, homogeneous relationships where it's like, I'm friends with you as long as we can mostly agree on things, right? As long as we see eye to eye, as long as we have a similar understanding of the world, we can sort of coexist without any drama. And as long as that's the case, then, then we can actually keep this relationship going. But as soon as it is sort of you, you veer paths, right, things don't go well. Or in the case of proximity or convenience even, right? We, we can be friends. This relationship will work as long as you live close to me. Right? As long as we can continue to see each other day to day or as long as convenience-wise, as long as it's not a burden for me. And that can be like a convenience for me to drive across town or to pick up the phone and give a call or even the convenience of seeing your drama enter into my life, right? It's like, well, if you bring drama, I don't want anything to do with that. This is drama-free zone. And so we push people away. Our relationships are stunted. And, and if we, we take a look at 
pre-Christian Paul, or call him Saul, what was his name before he got converted, we can see that like him, we tend to have limited relationship capacities, okay? Limited in quantity, right? There, there's just, it's like, if that's how you do relationships, there's, there's just a very small amount of people who are gonna fit that criteria to be your friend. So we're limited in the amount of people, and then also the quality of our relationships is stunted, and because these are our tendencies of being utilitarian, homogenous, dealing uh, with those who are in our close proximity or those who are convenient, it creates relationships that are shallow, that have some sort of a cap on it, like, uh, or that, that just have stipulations that make it really hard to be friends and engage in relationship with other people. And so we create these relationships that have easy-to-reach eject buttons. You know what I'm talking about? Like, this is all working, but I've got this rip cord close by that if this goes turns for the sour, I can just pull this thing, and I never have to see you again. And then we just sort of go our way. You're burned, I'm burned, we call our losses, and we just move on. And if you do that enough times, right, you go through that pattern of pulling that eject cord, eventually you just get tired of it. It's like, well, I don't need other people. I can, I can sort of do this thing on my own. But then you try to avoid relationships, and where does that leave you? You're lonely. Because you've been created for relationships. You are a, rela a relational creature. Now the reality is that most of us, if not all of us, have operated in unhealthy relationships for years. Some of them are learned. We learned, we learned how to do relationships from our parents. And if our parents didn't have this sort of gospel perspective on how to do relationships, we've seen it go poorly or, or we've tried to veer our own path and we try and it fails. And, and so our relationships sort of get stunted. And honestly, you could try to go your whole life uh, just with the sort of status quo, minimum impact relationships. But what will happen is that you find you are missing that deep and meaningful connection that you were meant to have. And we can do this because there's a sort of dysfunctional functionality, right? It's sort of paradoxical. Like, it works until it doesn't, right? Your relationships will pan out until something blows up and then you have some sort of relational crisis. And what happens is eventually it'll burn us, right? This relationship or whatever relationship it might be will burn us or we burn the other person. And so that means that we've got these impaired relationships, relationships that aren't hitting their maximum potential. And because of that, it means that we're living this impaired life. Now, when Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, that Jesus comes to earth to reconcile to himself all things, right? He's planning to, to act in a way that brings about the flourishing of all things in all the cosmos. That means, yes, our planet's going to be fixed. All of the uh, ecological problems that we got going on, all the societal structures, all of the injustice is going to be fixed. But at the top of Jesus' list of things to reconcile to himself are our relationships. Now, Richard Plass, Jim Cofield, and the relational soul, they say soulful, this is what, like these meaningful, like robust relationships, soul, soulful relationships ultimately rest on the fact that God in Christ has come to reclaim your relational life, right? Jesus is coming to renew your relational life, to lead you into a deeper connectivity with both God and with other people. Now we see, if we look at, Pre-Christian Paul or Saul, 
We can see that Jesus has, in fact, done this change in his life. It's a unique insight into what the gospel is actually producing in the Apostle Paul's life. And we see this when, when, when Paul meets Jesus, there are big changes that happen. And don't be mistaken, like sometimes big changes happen in bursts, but sometimes it's just a little Little bit of little grind here, a little bit of change there, like from one degree, like a thermostat, one degree to the next, right? God changing us. And what God has changed, what Jesus has changed about Paul is his, he's enlarged his capacity for relationships in a quantitative way. Look at these 11 verses. In 11 verses, he mentions 11 people specifically, right? If he had a photo on, on Instagram, he'd have 11 different people tagged in this, and then there are three different cities and the people of those cities mentioned, right? Paul has this capacity to be relating to one another, not in a way that's the utilitarian way that he probably did in the past, but in a way that's meaningfully connected. And I would go through and list all these names, but, but I, I didn't study like Steph did, and she nailed all of them, but there's a lot of people here, and all of them have this meaningful connection with Paul. He's not just like, you know, a friend of a friend or an acquaintance. These are guys and men and women who are in the thick of life with Paul. And so we see how the gospel has placed Paul in relationship with these people. He's expanding his ability to have these have more relationships. And, and there might be some of you in the room who are like, "Man, I just want that. Like, I I want to have these meaningful relationships. Because like, why wouldn't you want to have it if you're a relational soul? If you're a relational creature, you were made to have that. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you, like, we want you. Like, we, we think that this is a place where you can belong. We want to invite you to be part of our missional community, right? Like, where it's like 11 or 12, 13, 14 people uh, who are committed to one another, living life, daily life, in community, and on mission together. So if that's you, come on in. Now, others of you might think, you know, I've hit my quota. Like, I, I'm maxed out with relationships. I've got all the friendships that I need. I can't even possibly think of, of adding more relationships to my already busy life. And if that's, that's you, good. I'm glad you're connected. But Jesus doesn't want to just add relationships in your life. He wants to actually transform those relationships. He wants to change the quality of those relationships. He wants to dismantle the self-centered motives that you have for those relationships and move you toward genuine, authentic love for others to have this compassionate and kind and embracing heart that, that they're not like on some sort of an agenda or have this stipulation to maintain a relationship with you, but are actually involved in a, a nice, like uh, uh, it's like a beautiful dance of relationships, mutually beneficial. And when you read through verses 7 through 18, you get the sense that this is what happened to Paul, changing his relationships the quality of his relationships. And you can see that Paul really loves people. He really loves people. It's not just about tolerating these people. It's not just about utilizing them in sort of a utilitarian way so that, that these relationships can help him achieve what he's trying to do. There's a sense here that Paul is enjoying these people that God has put in his life. In fact, he calls them, a couple of them, beloved brothers. All right, so you can see that there's this strong bond, this deep concern where, where it's not a competition for Paul to be in relationship with other people. I think sometimes that's what relationships paint out to be. I'm only, like, keep your enemies close, whatever. I don't even want to say this, but this idea of, like, I'm going to keep the people that I'm competing with close so I can see what their next move is, and maybe I can jump. Paul doesn't have that. 
He's encouraging them. You see this in verse 8, verse 17, where he's like, I'm, I'm sending word to you that you might be encouraged in Colossae. Or, or in verse 17, he talks about uh, encouraging this dude who's, that, he would be, uh, that he would fulfill the ministry that he's received from the Lord. So he, he's trying to help and strengthen those that he loves. In verse 11, we see that he finds comfort, and I, I can't even say his name, I'm not going to try it, but finding comfort with this guy that God has placed in his life. We see that Paul is suffering. He's in prison with some of these guys. That, that it's been encouraging not to be isolated, but to have these relationships, to suffer together, to press forward, and even to see how Paul and Epaphras, who have been pushing forward, wanting the mission of God to advance, that they've been doing so, linking arms, knowing that they do so together. And it's in this we see the Apostle Paul and these other people adding value to one another's lives. See, that's what, that's what a meaningful relationship does. We're mutually adding value to one another's lives. And you can see all of these qualities sprinkled throughout these 11 verses. Paul has been transformed by the gospel. His relationships have been changed by Jesus. And you'll notice here how this group is a diverse group of people. Right, it's not just guys that are like Paul, but, but there's a, a lot of diversity here. You see this in, there are men and women, that there are old folks and younger people. There are, there are those who are educated, like Luke, who was a physician. There are those who are uneducated. There's Jews and Gentiles, different upbringings, different religious backgrounds, people who are both near and close proximity, those who are far away. Paul has all of these people in his quarter. And the reality is these people, as diverse as they are, wouldn't be together if it weren't for the gospel. See, the gospel is the one thing that brings all of these people together. No matter how different they are, it's the one shared interest. It's the one shared commonality that they all have. And you can see this in our missional communities. Like, there, there's a lot of people in our missional communities that's like, I don't understand why these two people are in the room together. They have nothing else in common. But that's the beauty of our missional communities. It doesn't take a common hobby or a common uh, you know, season of life to bring us together. It's the gospel that brings us together because it's enough to bring us together and hold us together. See, when you, when you bring different people, diverse group of people together, eventually you will experience conflict. Eventually you will disagree about something and you'll want to have this, it'll feel like there's a fork in the road of this relationship. What's gonna happen next? I wanna go this way, they wanna go that way. And if you're in missional community long enough, you're gonna see that it happens. If you haven't already seen it already with COVID, right? Do we wear a mask? Do we not wear a mask? Is it safe out there? Is it not safe out there, right? Or, you know, just wait till November when it's the, the thick of the whole election cycle, Right? You're going to disagree with people, but the gospel brings us together. Now, Paul has this sort of uh, a, a fork in the road with his relationship with, with Mark, who's mentioned here. In, in Acts chapter 15, 16, Paul and Mark basically split ways. Paul's like, Mark has not been proven to be very reliable. I don't want to deal with him right now. He needs to go and do his own thing. I'm going to go do my own thing. So there, there was clearly this disagreement, this, this place where they split in the road. There was a lot of drama there. Um, and, and it's like, you know, it, it wasn't good. And, and what happens when culture tells us when this happens in our lives, we should just write those people off, right? Oh, well, they're idiots anyway. You know, they're going to go do what they want to do anyway. Just you know, pass them off, right? That's why we have this cancel culture, 
Right? That's why the, we're in the midst of this cancel culture. When, when you break my idea, when you break what I think is right, then I'm just going to throw you out the door. That's a cheap relationship. And, and no matter, like, if you are in a meaningful relationship, there's going to be drama. There's going to be a burden. The gospel doesn't just bring people together. It is what keeps people together. The only the gospel gives us the resources that we need to deal with the real hurt, the indifferences or the differences that we have and overcome the obstacles that keep us from engaging in meaningful relationship even if we disagree. Otherwise, we just keep a list of all the things that people have wronged us or how we've been slighted or offended and we just want to cut and run and say, oh, you know, I've had it with this person. We're just going to bail when it gets hard. This happens right, right in the thick of like when we're using, like leading into the selfishness of, of using relationships for utility or convenience or just trying to maintain what's the same. But if you understand the gospel, right, because we have received the grace and forgiveness of God, this allows us to, to extend grace and forgive one another. Because no matter what blunders we've had, no matter how we've tried to push God away and reject him, God is continually moving toward us in Christ. See, that's the difference between Christianity and every other world religion that's out there. Other religions say, do this first, get your stuff together, and then you'll be able to be invited into a relationship. But Christianity is the only religion that says, listen, God wants a relationship with you, and he's going to go to the ends of the earth to see that it happens. And then he's going to work on you a little bit. Right, then he's gonna help you get your life together and help you kind of figure out what it looks like for you to become the most beautiful version of yourself in Christ. See, God offers us grace and forgiveness and that invites us into a deep and meaningful communion with him. In fact, Jesus has brought us into the perfect relationship that he has had with the Father. We don't have to invent a new relationship. He said, hey, look, I'm gonna let you in on what, I, what I've already got with the Father. This is the gift of the gospel. And so this relationship is not based on our performance, it doesn't ebb and flow on when we're doing things right or doing things poorly, when we've been really faithful this week or really unfaithful the next. But our relationship with God is secured completely and totally by the work of Jesus. That he's the one that gives us access to God. And when we see what God has done for us in the gospel, it moves us from mistrust. Because that's what the whole selfishness thing is about. It's about a mistrust of God and of other people that I have to rely on myself. And when we see, okay, I'm actually not as reliable as I think I am, and God is way more reliable than what I ever thought, that allows us to step into trust and really hold fast to him. And it develops more and more into this deep trust in Jesus. Where we move, we see this, this movement from, from being enemies of God to becoming children of God who have this near and intimate and loved relationship where we know that we are held and embraced. See, this is the relationship by which all other relationships in our life are defined, right? All other, all other relationships are gonna follow what's modeled or what we think or perceive of what's modeled in our relationship with God. If we think God is cold and distant, that's the way we're gonna in interact with other relationships in our life. But if God is near and forgiving and gracious to us, that's gonna trickle down into every other relationship in our life. See, God wants to bring us into this flourishing relationship, this reconciliation that the gospel offers so that we could be reconciled toward others. 
See, this is, this is the reason why Paul says what he says here when he's talking about Mark, okay? That you'll notice in the scriptures, he's got these parentheses where he says, hey, I've told you about this guy. You know, if he comes your way, welcome him. Well, they, the reason why they know about Mark is because there was this conflict where they veered ways, and, and God has reconciled Paul and Mark to one another. And so now, Paul's saying, like, welcome him. Embrace him as a brother because I've done that. I understand how the gospel has worked in my relationships so that I can extend grace and forgiveness to my brother Mark. See, this is how we could forgive Mark, and it's by God's grace he's welcomed back into relationship. Now, to live our relationship with God uh, offered by Christ that flows into other relationships. Okay, so, so it's like to have this relationship with God, and if that's going to influence all of the other relationships, I think this is what it looks like for us to live into what Epaphras is saying and praying for, that he's struggling for here in, uh, what verse was it? He says, um, verse 12, he's always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Now, the will of God is that we would be reconciled. Like, you might look at that, it's like, what's, my, what's God's will for my life? Like, what job am I going to take? What, you know, what city am I going to, like, in some ways, that's irrelevant. What's relevant is, is the way that you're reconciled to God and how that trickles down into every other relationship in your life. And the only way that we can move forward in that is through grace, which is why Paul both begins the book of Colossians and ends the book of Colossians with this uh, presentation of grace. He says, grace be with you. Grace to you. Because there's never a moment in your life where you do not need the grace of God. There's no relationship that you're involved in or will ever be involved with that you don't need the grace of God to permeate and to, and to change that relationship. See, that's a catalyst for deepening our relationship with God and with others. It's this gospel of grace. So church, as I close here, let us hold fast to this grace. Let us hold fast to God. Let us know that God's grace is holding fast to us, that he will not let us go. Let's allow the grace of Jesus to define our relationship with God. Not be the, these guys who are tossed to and fro by the winds of, uh, of self-accomplishment and, and religiosity, but those people who are firmly rooted in Christ, that we go deeper and deeper into our union with him. Let it transform every relationship in our life for the glory of Jesus. And with God's help, allow us to deploy our relationships for the purposes of advancing the kingdom of God. You see this here. Paul and all his compadres are all about the kingdom of God moving forward. And so let us use our relationships to that end and let it be a light that points forward to the relationship that we have within Christ. In other words, friends, let us grow in the gospel as we live in community and on mission. Grace be with you. Father, we thank you for your life-changing grace. There, to think that your grace is anything less than life-changing is for us to misunderstand or to completely misinterpret uh, what your grace is and the potency of it. God, we ask that you would work in a way that would just change everything about us, the way we relate, we relate to you, 
through Christ, the way we relate to one another in the gospel. God, would you build us into a, a family, like a, a thriving family that we could look across the pews and say, that's my brother, that's my sister, who have meaningful relationships with one another, specific those in our missional community, but also take those meaningful, meaningful relationships uh, into the world, into the city with us, that they would point the beauty of our relationship that we have with you in Christ. We thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.